I'm Jay Oatway. And we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. A father-son podcast uh, talking about all things Dungeons & Dragons. Typically 5th edition, although you sometimes like to bring the old. Yep, I've been playing D&D for a long time. Um, and comparatively, I'm pretty new. But I think, honestly, I'm better than, than you at this Yeah, point. I mean, I mean you, If we you, can rate someone's goodness it's true. D&D, it's true. I'm well, you've had, you've had better teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I had to, you know, we had to learn it ourselves without the internet or any sort of, you know, parental support. For D&D Beyond. Uh, we were making it up as we went, largely. Um, and we maybe had bad role models back then, you know, because sometimes as a player, you need you need teachers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what kind of we're talking about this week. What yeah. to do if you've got some new players at the table and you think, hey, you know what would be a really great idea? I'm going to bring an NPC in to help these players learn how to be good pcs npc if you're to pc gooder familiar is non-player character and then pc is of course referring to player characters right everyone and, played by the character and we refer to these things as player characters because you are actually a, a bit of a blend of two things right there's this character that you've that's completely fictional that you've created but then there's always a bit of you the player uh in this character as if well you're not a dm yeah and uh and so, yeah, they, but then the, the term NPC also then refers to something that is typically named in the story. That's a little bit more important. Um, just a throwaway shopkeep. Right. Name if you don't give, and it, well, and the thing is, and here's our, my first tip of the night. A lot of DMs will say to me, oh my God, my party fell in love with the shopkeeper. I didn't mean for this to happen. And now there's this like long romance going on between them. Um, I would recommend for Dungeon Masters. Now, you don't have to always do this because I know some of these little in-town shopping encounters can be fun. Um, But if you have got limited time at the table and you've got a big adventure planned, but you do need to get through a few of the housekeeping sort of things that do take place in town, shopping or whatever, do your NPCs that don't matter in third person. Just say the shopkeeper says he's got, you know, X, Y, and Z that you need. It's, you know this much in today's a discount price so that way the players don't even haggle with you just get the job done have them subtract the gold and move on just try to keep those interactions as minimal as as they well, need to be it I can mean, be but if you've got a save your save your, voices, save your big voices save your big voices for when they have to meet the the goblin king and stuff right. like there's real sure, encounters there, there's that, definitely a, a, a part just like in in small random encounter combats or just in whatever right i mean even if whatever random encounters not really random um still there's room for players who invest in charisma to try and get their you know try and get a little bit of a better price you know even if you have sure. discounts I, I think there's a i would say there. if in it's that just, case i'd say argument. just plan for it to happen like that players will try to haggle already have a 20 percent discount in mind and a dc set at 12 or 14 or something for it let the charisma person make their their role if they hit it boom they get the discount done describe it move oh yeah sure you can describe it but i'm just saying try to get through that stuff so that you can get on with the real storytelling more I don't know. quickly sometimes i find a lot of the storytelling comes in those moments <laughs> um 
I don't know. I I, I think recently sometimes shopping episode skip through night watches or just like whatever or just like for for certain things. And I don't really get it because it's like why are we doing watches? Nothing happens. We're just rolling. And I know there's not going to be an encounter. Why am I making them do this? Really, if you've seen a, a, an actual play show that makes use of this kind of mechanic, you realize, oh, these are just setups for two people, two of the characters, to have a one-on-one chat with one another, you know, separate from all the group while everyone else is asleep. And you can do two a night, and suddenly, if you're in like traveling three days, you've got like six lore dump moments, two vulnerable moments between or like you know characters each night and you're like oh my god sure this is amazing for role play yeah or if you've got an npc in the party this is also a chance for them hmm. to stand a watch with somebody and be Tell able to a little bit about certain things yeah and there's many different kinds of npcs that we're going to be kind of talking about in this exploration of the ways that npcs can kind of teach players um, a little bit about rules story all sort of things and i think maybe let's start with what we first think of allies right um when we think of npcs right your basic uh npc who shows up uh and somehow befriends the party and is there to help them yeah. uh sometimes it's very obvious you can be super on the nose with this and like you know you've got your you know gruff grizzly lumberjacky type uh ranger who's just showed up and is like i'm gonna teach you the ways of the wild sure and you know in like a, a literal guide through the forest yeah. um, is very useful often. Um, another thing I like to do sometimes is like already have a pre-established connection to make the immersion with the group a little bit easier. Like if one of the characters, oh, this is my brother, or oh, this is whatever, right? We can immediately trust this person, sure. and there's already an established relationship there that makes them allied. Right? Yeah. Um, if you just want something quickly and you're not really sure how to get players to trust something, because the other option is that your players trust nobody, right? That they've been burned too many times every and no longer trust anybody and i think again making a pre-established relationship is one way to deal with that but there's also trying to appeal to like a common goal or something like that but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about like once the relationship is established and this is our ally and we're working with them what can they teach us yeah if your party's murder hobos and kills every npc you throw at them you've got a whole nother problem you gotta teach um, them a lesson there's a lesson right there make them feel bad about killing them there's like a, a little letter and like a little pocket watch with a photo of her his daughter and you're right. like oh god and there, there may be do? other ways to deal with this like all right so there are four categories that we're going to talk about there's allies there's rivals there's survivors and uh adversaries so sometimes those other types of NPCs, if they, if your party are murder hobos, there is other ways to put NPCs into play that might help teach them not to be murder hobos. But let's assume in, in, in the case that actually we have some players who have yet to learn how to murder things very well. Mm. And you're like, okay, we need somebody in the party to sort of help teach them you know, how to organize themselves as a party, how to, you know, if you're a range attack person, you need to stay back, not get close. You know, if you're, have got control spells, how you set those up, on, you know, the players, you know, or how, if you can, you know, you take help actions or dodge actions, but be in the right place on the board. And a just big tip is focus fire as well. Um, it's something like kind of like we don't think about too much, but a huge part of the game, like I, I sure. see my players just do a little bit of damage to everything. That's terrible. Around and then they all attack them. If everyone can focus fire onto one person sure. to take them out, suddenly the action economy is starting to tip in our right. favor. And, right, and you sometimes can have an NPC who just can teach basic combat tactics 
to new players mm. without you as a DM having to break immersion to do so. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, those sorts of allies are, we're talking about like real D&D 101 use of allies here. Uh, so another level up from that, though, is the ally that teaches players about the world that they're in, mm. uh, that their characters are in. And... And that helps as well to sort of fill out details of the world, of what different parts of the world or a new part that they've traveled to, what's in there and, and how they can sort of get their heads uh, around the new dangers or political structures or whatever kind of might be going on. Uh, and then the idea to do this through dialogue rather than lore dump makes it so more engaging for players at the table. Hmm. I mean, that's the hope, right? Uh, is that you don't bore them out and tell the story for them but that you're just doing that to help them and then you could have the ally be brutally killed and then suddenly you've got a revenge quest on some other terrible villain or whatever is that their mentor and their whoever i mean that's the trope in all like tv shows and video games is that you've got a mentor that shows you the ropes and then they're killed um and you're like no i'll avenge you um and there's another form of allies in the form of sidekicks that can perhaps stick around a little bit longer or show some of the less combat-oriented things of combat, a little bit less aggressive. And, and I, I really recommend sidekicks over full-power NPCs. Yeah. The thing about, if you start saying, oh, I'm going to give the party another full-power full NPC, you basically just added another thing an, to run in to, And you've got to, and God forbid you end up in a situation where you have to talk to the, as a DM, talk to a, the NPC in the party with an NPC that's outside the party, and then you're playing both parts, and it's mm. dumb. A solu couple solutions to that is introducing a guest player yeah. to play your NPC. But then essentially they're playing a PC that you decided well, for them. a temporary PC. Yeah, um, definitely. That acts as a conveyor of the story and knows more than the rest of the party. Sure. And that's another role that allies and that's, can kind of play. And that's actually position, right? That's this thing that's it's almost like a bit of a co-DM type thing. And you and I are lucky because we can often play in games together and help each other out in that sort of capacity. Um, you fill in for me mm -hmm. as NPCs in, in sort of key moments, especially big fights and things where I don't need one more thing to control. Yeah. Um, you can take over some of those those NPCs Even for me. Villains. But the sidekicks I like a lot because sidekicks tend to be... Good level one two three yeah, they're a bit they're lower well the blessed players are a little bit higher level they're lower level than the players they're very simple um templates that go with them there's a lot of variety which you could do with it there's some stock stuff there's stuff you can get off dm's guild there's there's tons of different little ways you can modify sidekicks up to match up with the players sometimes filling in that little gap in the party that's missing especially if it's a very small party if you've only got two players or sometimes you're just doing a one-on-one -on -one, having a sidekick there that has got you can put a poor healing potion down somebody's sure. throat uh, so they can you know Casting live another day yeah or something uh that can be super helpful but they're also sidekicks can also have knowledge or insight or can ask obvious questions that maybe the players for whatever reason haven't thought to ask yet um and then once I, yeah. they hear the question then the players seek out the answers Mm. you could again in a, a smaller group i love the idea of a sidekick in like a two or three person i think it works even better with two just having a little sidekick on the side is just like a nice little thing of like i mean you think about it, again 
back to thinking about TV and video game tropes, there's always like a little pet on the side or a little, you know, not a whole main character that's got all their things, but they get little moments here and there that help yeah. or get sometimes get them into trouble too. Yeah. Um, when they often need to be rescued or things, you can do side quests with them that way. And, and you try to keep them out of trouble and you try to keep, give them a place to hide and get out of things. Or sometimes maybe just maybe they get a little bit of a, a little bit of action in certain fights as well. And they where they can grow too. They have their own adventure and story and yeah. motive. And there's goals. there's rules for letting letting uh, sidekicks level up a bit. Well, yeah, I didn't use sidekick rules for this, but in a campaign I ran previously, a, a player who was new to the game wanted a pet rat, and then we slowly went through the steps of seeing the pet or the rat get awakened and start leveling up its own intelligence and gain a spell book, and suddenly it was a wizard. Um, that wanted to be a dragonborn because that was the person who sort of awoke them. Um, and then by the end, uh, the bard cast true polymorph on them, uh, permanently turning them into a, um, an, uh, I believe it was an adult uh, black dragon. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, seeing that little tiny rat with no intelligence um, or sapiens. Uh, the things that can happen to... when you play all the way to level 20 and and bit beyond really for you guys weren't you, you were oh no we well, i guess there was you were doing boons, epic boons and things but we beyond. weren't going above level 20 um yeah that was just fun to see at the end there like the potential for certain characters to grow with the players but also to give them information right and send them on new quests again has the sidekick been kidnapped does the sidekick know a little bit about things? I love the idea of a sidekick that is really um, not good at fighting whatsoever, um, but has an astute, researched, scholarly knowledge um, on all sorts of monsters and creatures and whatnot. Yeah. Um, like, oh, yeah, I've heard about... Th sometimes it's a little bit wrong. I've heard this eye beam. It's got, like, seven different eye beams that it can use. And one of them does this, and one of them is like, all right, shut, shut I, up. I even, I even like them as the idea that perhaps they are, especially if you're doing something out of say candle keep or some sort of library or thing like that mm. you have a sending stone your sidekick's got a sending stone and they're like your guy in the chair yeah once per day you can kind of like, like what is this thing let me i'll get back to you you know and they can like cast sending too you know or maybe yeah they just have that their whole thing is they've got the sending spell for you yeah um or like somewhat like usually useless spells that for suddenly an, a sidekick to have is like oh you have access to all this for us that's kind of useful. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say sending is useless. Perhaps the most powerful spell in the damn game. But um, yeah, well, I, I, I like it. You know, you can have little pocket uh, magic mirrors. You could do anything. Like if you want to sort yeah. of keep them into it. Um, Without. Being but this injured. and this can also just be a way that way. If you if you're playing a game where you like putting really cool legendary monsters in there, but then you're like, well, what's the player gonna do? Just make some sort of history check or some sort of nature check, and if they fail it, they don't know. It's more fun to have this guy in the chair. Um, they can have some conversations with them. They have to sort of feed information of what they sort of see and what's going on and where they are and what's happened. And as they give it more and more information, the DC comes down a bit by bit by bit until they like, oh, I found them in this one book. And it, and you can then reveal to the party what, say, its vulnerability is. And the party can figure out if they've got some means to, mm. to uh, you know, tap into that. My favorite thing is using creatures that, like, typically have color to them. But in darkness... Even if you got dark vision, you typically can't see in color. No. And so it's like trying to be able to describe dragon types without <laughs> seeing what color the dragon or, is. Or any sort of like homebrew legendary creature. It's like, okay, look, the book says there's a red one and there's a blue one. I it's really important to know which color it is. Tell. There's other things about them. Like, I mean, you'll see a blue dragon has a big horn on the end of its nose, but most players don't know that. Yeah. You know, some dragons have gills. Most players black, don't know Black that. dragons' horns go backwards. I mean... They go... Or forwards, I should say. Most yeah, go like, backwards. Yeah, they do like a little... Yeah, they come like almost. the other direction, yeah. Um, but Reversed. most players wouldn't be able to describe that off no. the bat unless you as the DM describe that yeah. to them. 
Um, I love doing that in darkness. Is when, that you don't know what color it is, yeah. um, especially with dragons. And, if, and especially if you have, can't see its head. What if you're only seeing its tail? Yeah. Do you need to creep around and look in its eyes? Yeah, good. Good luck with that. Have fun. Mm. Uh, anyway, so there's there are some ideas of, of how allies uh, can work for you. And teach, yeah, and be more than just combatants, but teachers, really, of how to combat of how to, you know, yeah. approach monsters. Or be, approach yeah, to be informants, to be helpful or, yeah. that way. With also, but like, the real trick on these is don't let them get bigger and more powerful yeah, than the party. Yeah, don't give them the spotlight. Yeah, the spotlight is on. Yeah. Or like, if they are a grizzled adventurer, be like they're on their, their last legs a little bit, right? You could, you know. Classic they, Matt Mer Mercer, he had old. he had a guide uh, in Campaign 2 to take them across the Arctic who was in a wheelchair, who was in a badass, amazing fighter in his own. I love what they did with that character. But he also, you know, he he stayed back. He hid. He got out of their way. And, I mean, the party was big enough as already. Like, you yeah. hardly oh, need sure. to add another character to a seven-person party. It's... Mm. Um, but yeah, so the next thing we have, and speaking of Matt Mercer, um, so Call of Another Deep yes. has just come out, and uh, it picks up on something that's been in a few of the books before, the idea of rivals. Mm. Uh, the adventure itself actually lays out and names a few characters um, that are rivals. Uh, and this is super exciting. I, I, it's a It's a tool that... Uh, I've longed to try and use or put into games, never quite had the right setting for it or the right sort of thing. Um, I've often loved this idea that there are these, yeah, there's these NPCs and there's a group of them and they sort of mirror your party in some ways. And, and then you, yeah, you bump into them. You're often on the same quest or similar quest. Maybe they're beating you to things sometimes. Uh, mm maybe you, you you know they they mock you maybe you see each other in the tavern at the end of the day and they're like making fun of how your party fell apart um it's a sort of slightly different little bit more toxic meaner way to motivate your party to get their their poop in a scoop um but yeah they can they can sh work in some ways as role models but if the players see uh their rivals working incredibly well together all targeting one creature at a time taking them down you know using the positions using their you know working their strengths together cooperating you know, clear communication all of these things um maybe the party goes oh that's how you do it um and, and then of course there's there's some fun things that rivals you know things get, might happen if you sort of decide okay well that's it i'm sick of the rivals what happens if you decide to have a conflict with them mm. yeah um, and that kind of scaling, like sliding scale of hostile and different and friendly can kind of shift where they can be allies and they can be adversaries and they can play this sort of dual role while almost mirroring the own party and showing them the paths they didn't take, right? Which is the thing I kind of like about rivals is they're kind of almost a bit of a dark mirror, right? Sometimes. Or maybe a brilliant mirror that's like, oh my god, why aren't we more like them? Um, they're so organized. What if and, and, and what if there's like super good, super nice, really charming, and your party's just a bunch of jerks? Yeah, and you you're just mess, you just screw everything up, and it's like, well, oh, let's, we'll go to them, you know. Um, and they work. And they again showing people how to coordinate attacks, right? While an like an ally could tell you basic tips that everyone should know, each player, the rivals can be doing combo moves and working together, and you're like, oh my god, can we do? Can we steal that move where you jump off my shield and? you know yeah attack from I, above and I, I hold the the shot until you spider web them against the wall and then i 
you know, get my sneak attack advantage on it. Yeah, it's because they're restrained. I mean, there's so many things that your party has to work out on its own anyways. But if you're newer players, um, often you're still just trying to figure out your own skills. So trying to figure out how to match them with somebody else's is hard. Um, and so, yeah, seeing seeing a a similar looking party to yours doing particular things it's a little on the nose but it's it's a show not tell so i'm as a dm cool with that i yeah. like that better i mean again don't let them steal too much of the spotlight do moments where the like yeah. re- recurring moments where the rival shows up yeah not and every episode but you know no, not yeah. every game you play every session but they, every, every other every other or every third um, maybe even less than that maybe wherever. they only meet him like three or four times or or do you just reference them oh yeah you know or yeah, exactly. that, those guys are they were here earlier they were aren't they i love those guys i got their autographs and you, you're, you're party like, especially Arr. i love the idea of like um, a bounty hunter style campaign and this is a good time to like really be like oh yeah this other set of bounty hunters is way better than you guys it's like damn it they always get the bounty before us who are these guys um, and you learn more about them, and you could maybe even start working with them or become friends with them. Um, yeah. In the end, I I love the idea of achieve their goals. I love the idea of of getting to some sort of major final boss scene, and either the rivals are getting their butts kicked or you're getting their butts kicked, and you guys join forces and work together. Um, maybe even one of the rivals gives their lives to save one of the members of your party or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, hero moments that you know forever put you you know make you friends that's that's good stuff right yeah i think the thing about rivals is that they're adventurers right and i i feel like a lot of adventurers are kind of arrogant egotistical like a little bit of the center of the story which they kind of are for a campaign but a rival almost lets you see a snapshot of how to make relationships with a little bit of typically arrogant adventurers that believe themselves to be mighty and strong and have worthwhile goals and suddenly you're like god these guys kind of suck like we do a little bit um let's figure out how to be friends with them or how to kill all of them you know because if you want to indulge the murder hobo side of things which hey you know why do murder hobos always get so much flack i mean sometimes it's not the story you want to tell but sometimes it's good fun you know um and we can't kill things in real life so why don't us kill things in the game yeah uh, if you have a, a table who really just thrives on showing up each week and bashing their frustrations out on monsters yeah. give them monsters i mean play play to the table a d a, a really great dm yeah you maybe you've got a wonderful adventure that you want to play out but maybe now's not the time that that's going to happen oh, you'll find the party that's right for it maybe even this party after they work their frustrations out through something else and so yeah you come up with something where it's you know week by week who gets the kill on the the various mon- monsters harvesting things and, and you could play a game of like kill counts and assists yeah. and whatever i mean it's a huge part of motivating people to do certain things and i don't know it's, it's a certain type of game but again we're rambling a little bit off topic now um but those are actually those are things that happen when you put npcs in a game yeah. for sure um, um another thing again if they are killing everything consider the people that survive right not necessarily the attacks of the players but also monsters of the story they are survivors um these are great for horror campaigns yeah so in van richten's guide to ravenloft we get introduced to a very special class of npc that has never really been presented in the sort of core rules basic rules before it's called survivors uh in sort of chapter four under horror adventures 
And the idea is that survivors are pre-made characters, low level. They look a lot like sidekicks, right? They suggest four different ones in here, apprentices, disciples, sneaks, and squires. The idea is it's a very stripped down, simple stat block. Now, that automatically just looks like a very simple, easy NPC to play. Um, but you're placing them, of course, in a horror-type setting. Mm. So survivors, you know, typically are... Well, they're victims of something something terribly scary, something horrific and frightening, some sort of terror or something that's gone on. And it talks a little bit about, you know, this can be, they can serve as, as a way to do cutscenes, do dreams and memories. But what makes them really powerful NPCs is that you can pause your main PC characters in place and then you can do a side quest where you shift some of the players, all of the players, one of the players. Maybe it's a night where some of your players can't make it. You can take a couple of your players who are there, move them into the survivor uh, character sheets. Very simple, very easy to run. Mm. And then you do, these sort of work like cutscenes or dreams. And it says here, you use survivors to provide information to players in the form of self-contained adventures. Mm. Even if it doesn't make sense for a campaign's character to be present for an event... Survivors can provide players with perspective they wouldn't otherwise have. Survivors serve perhaps as the first constables on a scene during a serial killer's crime. Afterward, when the players, other characters get involved in the investigation, the players then can know some of the details. Um, or, you know, get a deeper feeling or perspective for maybe, you know, uh, somebody who lost a, or was involved somehow in the, the horror, like one of the NPCs at that point was actually one of the survivors that a player played. So you're like, when you meet that NPC, suddenly you have much deeper sympathy for them because you had actually played a whole game in their shoes. One thing I like to do sometimes in these kind of ideas, or like this idea, I like doing cold opens to my sessions. Yeah. And the idea of outside of the players before they arrive, I mean, think of certain like setups for like, you know, murder mysteries or things like that, there's always a little bit of a preamble with a couple characters, kind of enigmatic and mysterious, what just happened, and then throughout the session, or maybe throughout a couple adventures, we can try and reveal what this cold open was saying. Yeah. Um, and we, the first clue is seeing the survivor that was in the cold open. And you're like, oh my, like, I just saw what your perspective was. We're, I'm inclined to trust you, or maybe I don't trust you, based on what this cold open has told me. Right. But again, metagaming aside, this is now a, a person of interest that gives us insight into what the story is trying to tell. I've been doing to do more of that, that in my, especially in the horror games, um, where I do cutscenes, where I do mm. cutaways to spooky, creepy, sort of ominous things that the characters don't see, but the players do. And this, hence why this PC idea is really important because we are playing with two different things sometimes. I, it's important for me to help inform my players um, so that they can inform their characters. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, without being too meta about it, it's nice the cutscene if you just describe I like, I like the spooky the cold scene. Because it gets the cold, people yeah, yeah. into it without taking us like um, out of the adventure. It mentions in here, you know, the idea of survivors provide players with, with a, say, a front row seat to an important historical event. Mm. It's one thing to hear about the massacre at Castle Ravenloft uh, following Strahd's transformation into a vampire, mm. but it's another to play it. Um, and actually, in my game, I use an immersive, uh, an interactive tome of Strahd, where actually you, you get sucked into the story, kind of Candlekeep-esque sort of way of being drawn into his memoirs and actually being a participant at these various events. 
Um, but this is a little bit different. This is like, you know, you're actually playing not yourself in that story, but you're inside another character, a survivor from uh, one of these things. Yeah. And they're so, also good teachers of how to survive the baddies, right? Yeah. Or these big threats, because they literally did go through the thick of it, and they've now come out on the other side, and can tell you a little bit about it. Just like, you know, allies in the chair might give you some, you know, hints on weaknesses or on strengths even of, of a certain monster. Survivors can kind of do the same thing. And I think it's important, though, when, like, and the rules mention this as well, if you are going to do the survivor thing and you're going to plop your characters out of their PCs into something else, that you make sure the players know how long you plan to use survivors and that they'll be playing their usual characters again soon. And I think that's quite good. But it can also be refreshing as well. So if you guys are now, say your player, your party's leveled up, I don't know what they're at, maybe they're at level 7 or 8 or 12, who knows. Um, they might have they might start to feel like, oh yeah, we're pretty tough now, right? Like, and yeah, you've scaled the threats and things are more dangerous, but you suddenly put something, the players all back inside first level character bodies and they've got much fewer hit points and much fewer resources. And these are very simple characters that also the sense of terror and, and fear of the world around them, it becomes more heightened yeah, when you're suddenly, when not, you're suddenly looking at, oh, yeah. I've only got seven hit points again. Sure. Yikes. I, I think this like, a good thing, I mean, you got to be conscious. There's a couple things I'll say on this. If you're doing a sort of cutaway scene where they're all playing, let's say, like commoners or like simple townsfolk that have been victim to this horrific monster, um, they, like, t players have a tendency of like wanting to hold on to characters and kind of not letting go and not like sometimes resisting the story, right? Yeah. Um, which is a, a perfectly natural response to PCs. But I think an opportunity with survivors and almost giving them the role of survivors sometimes in these cutaways or cold opens or whatever um, is to let them be more experienced with letting go of characters, letting go of life a little bit and in letting the story kind of happen sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not railroad. I mean, of course, this sounds a little bit like, you know, let the story happen, you know, um, but sometimes there is a, a bit of an obstacle and like, no, we got to win. Sometimes yeah, you got to learn to lose. Well, this is just it. I think that's what NPCs well, can teach you. Yeah, how to lose. trying to trying to use NPCs to help players do the yes and mm. yeah. right to, rather than the the no but. Uh, the yes and is about accepting that there is things going on around you, um, and that you're going to go kind of with that flow. Mm. And yeah, this isn't necessarily a railroading thing, but this is about learning to learning to be con a collaborative storyteller rather than a, a deconstructing, like constantly trying to tear down the the story. Um, instead, you're adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And I think that that again is hard to teach people um, without often bringing other people to the table who are good at it. Um, but perhaps again, you take them out of their their main character's role, mm. a character that they're deeply attached to, and you put them inside something they're not as attached to. And yeah, maybe it becomes a little bit easier at this point for them to know that yeah, their idea here is that they're going to go bob along with this the flow of the river for a little bit, learn some stuff, and then come back to their PC. Yeah, and what I like to do then later, I mean, I, the way I would try and set it up is they do this cold open where they've all agreed to play low, commoner, almost like stat blocks, not even like... Well, like I said, these are great. Apprentice, um, disciple, okay. sneak, squires, it's enough. Sure, sure. You mean... But 
even if we don't want to do that, even if they're literally just townsfolk, I'll ask them to each have a trinket or something that their actual player would probably like to have. Right. Um, and then they go through the adventure, they learn a little bit about this unspeakable horror that instant, like easily, instantly kills them, right? Um, but their NPCs and the actions they did set up small little tweaks so that when the real player characters arrive at the scene, they see all the dead bodies, they may choose to loot them because they know what their loot is ahead of time, right? And they can then use, I can then use that vehicle as a way for the players to gain a little bit of loot, right? Sure. Um, that they've decided. Or even perhaps a haunted item. Sure. Haunted items. Why not? Um, yeah, I mean, that could be a fun way of doing it. But again, they've experienced the monster now fighting it once they've seen pieces of it and parts of it that are kind of scary and not they didn't have any of their special dark visions or there any whatever's right they're all human commoners or whatever right that you can get them on board with um that may have you know common magic items on them even that are small useful trinkets for your actual pcs um and so that way it feels like we're not just wasting our time and playing something i, I want to play the real game i want to play my character damn it it's like no we were we're setting this up so that it's even juicier when your real characters come to it. They get a little bit out of it. Hey, thanks for entertaining my little storytelling moment. Here's all a little bit of a trinket or a common magic item that you've decided that you think your character kind of enjoy. And then we move on from there. We're also teaching them a little bit about the monster itself. And sometimes those monsters can be the greatest teachers of all. And that brings us to our final segment on adversaries. Um, sometimes yeah. the big bad evil guy in the story. And I, I said, for those of you are common listeners to our podcast thank you for coming back uh i play a lot of curse of strahd i run a lot of curse of strahd um and you know a powerful mastermind villain like strahd knows a lot of stuff mm. and is often bored and you're trying to think well i mean actually i don't like him just always just being bored i find strahd's actually best when he's he's got a plan he's got a plot he's got something going on but that said he uh He's a, he's, he likes to share. Um, and you know, I know it's a little cliche, but it actually works in great in, in storytelling to have, to have your big, bad, bad, evil guy holding down a party in a vulnerable position and then doing their gloaty monologue on top of it of, you know, why, what they're doing is, is the right thing, the path of, uh, you know, the righteous or best idea, you know, whatever it might be that, um, and it, it's, you know, it can be a thing that it doesn't have to just be lore dump like that. It can actually be interactive as well. The players can question them and quiz them on things. A cute way to do it is to give them a legendary action that is just exposition. (laughs) Um, and maybe it's a little mechanical thing of him healing himself a little bit in the process or like kind of staying, trying to keep legendary action, lore dump long enough to tell his whole spiel and players could feel very, a large amount of satisfaction in cutting off the monologue well um, as a as a dm when you feel like i never get to he never gets to say all the things he wants to say yeah. just write it into your initiative order yeah at three at two or, at two or three points yeah at through each of the initiative counts after after particular characters turns or whatever that he just says stuff mm. um and that's like it's just like almost like he takes another turn only just talks and then or, you know, maybe he's already got legendary actions where he can move and stuff as well. Maybe he moves and talks um, if he's if that's the character you've got or whatever you've got. But put it in there so that your your big bad evil guys can do can do some explaining. 
as to what's going on. And I love that this in this point as well. And it usually this only usually creeps my players out more. I try to make the most convincing arguments I possibly can for their twisted sort of outlook on the world. They've always got a very weird perspective on things mm. that doesn't jive with the player's perspective, but they they try to come off as convincing, like they truly genuinely want to turn the party to think the way they think. Yeah, and I think and another part of adversary that sorry, actually always comes off so evil. Good, teaching players to, you know, showing them what evil can look like, and trying to like teach them like, hey, you're kind of going down this path a little bit, right? Not saying that explicitly, but kind of showing it a little yeah. bit that the villains have experienced similar things the players have and have turned and you sure. know um, become evil as a result of it, and it's up to the players to maybe not follow that fate. Well, I think the the real thing that we learn from Ben Richton's guide to Ravenloft, when you start looking at domains of dread and how you make a, a, a dread lord, is they mm. they have always got something that they've done that is irredeemable. Right. That for the players, they may have made mistakes. They may have done things along the way, but they regret it. They try to make up for it, and most of the time, whatever they've done, um, they can they can re still be redeemed. They mm. can still do something that will make it okay again um whereas what you get with the adversaries is a lesson in what happens when you go too far um how you know what is irredeemable and and they sort of do end up sort of teaching in the game then for players a little bit that you know yeah you can run around and be a murder hobo but then there's there is still lines in the sand there's still things that you should or shouldn't do mm. um I don't know. There's these maybe more moral lessons, almost. I think that come out of adversaries sometimes, rather than. Yeah, well, exactly. Teaching players how to be a little bit better people, right? Yeah. Especially if they're going down the path of murder hobo, make a rival or an adversary that does the same thing, and suddenly players are like, "What? That's not cool." <laughs> or they can they can maybe be held hostage and watch uh, an evil person target innocent people uh, effectively and wipe out a village um I mean, trigger warning trigger warning that's like really too much brutal. too much um, um but yeah you're like but... let me show you how you concentrate fire upon the the mayor of the town i mean what a way to introduce a villain right again allies can serve that as well introducing it really just being survivors or being whatever they serve as the introduction to your adversary which the lesson themselves is you know kind of the theme of the story you're telling right is the what is the thing that we are saying is bad in the story or the thing that we are questioning yeah um i, I think all good storytelling yeah so has we're a question like we're that, putting right? stuff like this together you using survivors adversaries rivals all you know together in cutscene openings and then or you're in player you know, moments i mean cutscenes if you do them too often suddenly we're not playing a game anymore we're no, but it's a great way to sort of put a bunch of these other NPCs into the mix and then your players can bump into them again later and totally. um, know who or they kind of are. Lost is suddenly a little bit more meaningful, hopefully. I yeah. mean, if you, if you can take some of this away, um, if players can step into their shoes. If, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and I've seen, I've seen them all suffer a little bit. See, you know, understand that. And I, I, I'm going to use the word human condition here, and I know that in our game not everybody's human, but... That generally that idea that yeah, we're the elven condition. we're all we're all suffering a little bit you know we all struggle with it with things pain is something that everybody experiences and yeah the humanoid condition um 
it's not to say that monsters maybe don't have feelings too um but you know it, it it's about trying to generate that sort of that realization that uh you know there's some sympathy going on here and this is where role play becomes very different from any board game it becomes different from a video game it becomes different from these oh, things I, I'm sure there are, um, but you know, this isn't just shooting at you know ones and zeros. That this is yeah, ongoing that there's something more relationships. With, yeah, relationships and stories. And, and it's a lot of like things that like people like see in games. They're like, oh, I really love that part of it. It's so well programmed. The idea that my relationship with an NPC changes depending on the actions I do in the story, and that's bloody hard to program and organize in, in a linear adventure. Yeah. Um, Whereas know, some games pull it off beautifully, but it's a at this damn hard thing. To it's do. just a, how well the DM responds to making and changing npcs and really it's just keeping track of your major players and, and what voices to do for them the yeah and seeing how the players interact and thinking okay how did that change their relationship after a session i'm, in, I'm in a community almost moments, getting to a point now where i want to i'm gonna just do a little like recordings of my npcs voices because sometimes right. if it's been several months since the last time we bumped into that npc i forget yeah i'm like oh man what was what was that voice again uh, yeah, I, and I think that's mostly what we wanted to touch on a little bit with NPCs yeah. um, this week. I hope some of it was perhaps useful for you all out there in Radio Land who are maybe getting back into a little bit of gaming um, and want to really flesh out the players that aren't players, right? Yeah, one well, figuring out how to, to in better improve your storytelling uh, with NPCs and not let the NPCs get sidetracked or railroaded into you know something they're not supposed to be there for like you know becoming the major love interest for well they can't there's there's your fifth category right there love interest <laughs> um yeah but I, again like i i have nothing no problem if the players in the game want to have a love interest with somebody that's great but if really you've brought this npc in to show them you know combat tactics it becoming a love so inch the, becomes all much the, more tragic. that I'm becomes that the whole that the whole campaign now just became I'll all never, about I'll the two of these people players for caring about an npc i've made yeah i suppose not all right I folks go out there love each other love your npcs uh care for each other and we'll uh we'll see you soon all right bye-bye